0: Hello and welcome to the third season of Citizen Femmes podcast. In this season, we are focusing on 12 Journeys With, where we are exploring the journeys of 12 fascinating women. This episode is all about the fashion journey of Lucinda Chambers. Now, when it comes to impeccable taste, there is no one better to speak to than Lucinda. From Elle to Vogue, she has certainly had an illustrious career. Lucinda, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to let you share a brief introduction of yourself, please.
1: Okay. Um, Well, I'm Lucinda. I'm co-founder of Collagery, which is an online shopping platform. And I'm also co-founder of Colville, which is a fashion brand, um, which also includes homeware. And yeah, sitting in sunny Shepherd's Bush and very happy to be here. So we're going to go way back to the
0: beginning, (laughs) when you were a child.
1: (laughs) Let's start at the beginning. What did you dream of becoming? That's a really funny question because I, oddly, I don't think I had any dreams. I mean, when I would go and see a film, I would sort of think, wouldn't it be amazing to be an actress? If I ever saw the ballet, I'd think, oh, I'd love to be a ballet dancer. But I didn't uh, have any specific ambitions. And I certainly wasn't a high achiever at school. Let's put it that way. Uh, Pretty naughty. There was a a sort of expelling somewhere in there uh, at certain points. Um, I loved to push the sort of boundaries, I suppose. I had great friends. I had great fun. But taking exams and passing exams was not a strength. Um, But having said that, when I sort of failed most of my then, you know, GCSE equivalent O levels, um, I felt ashamed, actually. And then I thought, I've got to work hard because... People are just going to think I'm really stupid. So that that sort of set me on a path of, of 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 really trying hard at school. And I went to a different school. I went to a day school in London. Um, did history of art and art and English. And that's when a kind of light bulb about art and photography and cinema kind of went off for me. But certainly, you know, no, nothing I did academically ever pointed me in towards a career for sure.
0: So you, I, I think I read that your first job at thirteen was working in a newsagent. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it was. I was thirteen. Actually, it was, it was it was basically because I wanted a television at the end of my bed, and my mother was like, "Well, you can't. So you have to go out and get a job." So I worked at the newsagent at the bottom of our road for about four years, and and I and I do remember. Yeah, I was paid twenty five pence an hour, and uh, and it took me about four years to get a television but i did and i think i was 50 pence short and my father gave me the 50 pence but i think yeah, i think what that did was sort of set up a feeling in myself that everything's achievable if you work at it i think i taught myself sort of patience and the fact that you can set out to do something and and get it you know if 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 that's If that's what you really want. And I think uh, the work ethic, uh, definitely, I think I had uh, in terms of sort of working for money and for achieving that that was very early on instilled in me. So I never not had a a job from quite an early age.
0: These are incredibly valuable lessons to learn at 13 years old. I think people don't learn it at 30 or 60 years old. So,
1: <laughs> well, I don't think I realised it at the time, but I definitely was very happy with the TV set. <laughs> I bet.
0: And well-earned. Four years. That's a, that's a long, old time to, to wait for that, which is good for you. So post-art college and pre-Vogue, you had various jobs, really interesting ones, I think. Topshop, theatre costumes for the Edinburgh Festival. Plastic jewelry design is great. Any others? Are there any particular favorites or ones that influenced your line of work now?
1: Oh, well, definitely, definitely the jewelry. The, the the jewelry happened and started when I was at art college. And and again, I what I realized when I went to art college, uh, I was really interested in the arts, but I wasn't very talented. And when I sort of I got into Hornsey, but what I very quickly realized that everybody around me was super talented. You know, really gifted, really creative, and I. And I kind of hoisted a board that I, that I wasn't that, I wasn't as talented as them, and it was going to be a struggle. But what happened was really serendipity, which is I kind of walked into a Perspex room, which was just full of colored sheets of Perspex. And and I started to make shapes with the Perspex and using the machinery and the equipment there, and I absolutely loved it. And then I thought, oh, I've always been an earring wearer, I've got to make some earrings. And then a couple of people wanted pairs, so I started making them. And then I really started making them. And the tutors at Hornsey were very, very disapproving. I, I think I didn't even tell them. I think I said I was making a mobile of interlocking shapes and they sort of jogged along with that. But then I started selling the, the earrings at Camden Market and another shop, actually, I just walked past the other day in Camden called Start Naked. And then I, I realized that I sh- I should actually leave leave art college and do this if I could full time because I was starting to make a, a tiny bit of money. But also, it felt more in my comfort zone. You know, I could do it. But the thing that happened that really did change change my career for me, and I think it was amazing. Was a pair of those earrings worked their way into a magazine, and the magazine was a free magazine. It was called Miss London, and it had fashion pages. And I wasn't a magazine reader. I mean, I don't think I could afford to buy magazines. And I wasn't even really that particularly interested in magazines. It wasn't part of my growing up or my teenage years. Uh, it was more that we experimented with clothes rather than looking at them in in smart magazines, I think. But when I saw these earrings on a model, I it was like a sort of more than a light bulb. It was like a firework went off because it was like, I held those earrings, you know, I held and made those earrings. And then to me, that model in that shot seemed so, so illustrious and so incredible and so magical. I couldn't, I couldn't work out how it had happened. What was that? I really wanted to know what that journey was in between holding the earrings and then being put on a model's, you know, ears. I just thought, oh, wow, that I want to be part of that journey, that, that that sounds so interesting. That feels so interesting. And that's when I started to sort of pay attention to magazines. It was kind of like, this is what I'm going to aim for. Just almost to find out more about that journey, because it just seemed magical to me.
0: So is that what led you to start your career at Vogue? Yes. Oh, fantastic. So you were Secretary to Beatrix Miller, and then Grace Coddington's assistant. Yes,
1: yes. I, um, I was working in Topshop at the time. I had a part time job with them, and I had a part time job filling in forms for the the, uh, rubbish men, actually at Paddington. So I was doing several jobs, and also working on the Edinburgh Festival this play, where I was doing the costumes. So I had lots of different sort of jobs because I, I think I thought, well, if that's my goal, and I God knows how I'm going to get there, all my jobs have got to be to do with fashion. So yeah, so I was working in Topshop, and I thought, well, I just could ring up Vogue, really, and. Anyway, I, I don't know how I had the balls, but I did ring them up and thank, uh, amazingly fortunate that the personnel at head of HR answered that particular phone call and her assistant was ill. And she said, well, you can come in your lunch hour and I'll give you a quick interview. And she gave me a quick interview. And the first question she asked me is, who do you know here? And I said, nobody. And I think at that particular point, you know, Vogue, really hard people who knew somebody there. It was quite like that, um, and but anyway, she said you've never sat behind a desk, you've never typed. You've got to go away and learn to type. So I got a book and I learned to type. And I, I rang her back three weeks later. I said I can type. I can type a business letter. And she said, "Don't take another job. I'll I'll find a job here." It was amazing. I was, I was so fortunate. And um yeah, I started uh as secretary to the petty cash woman, and then. <laughs> And then I got a job as secretary to the editor, and I was really like bubbles. I was pretty hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, fine. What
0: did you learn or any highlights from those, from the Vogue days?
1: Well, it was full of, in those days, I mean, it was full of characters, Vogue. You know, it was an absolute cast of characters. You know, you could smoke at your desk, you could put your feet up on your desk. There were writers coming in and out, there were photographers coming in and out. It was really, a very exciting, uh, fabulous place to work, and, you know, still is, I think. But uh, in those days, it was quite, uh, yeah, I think they employed people because they were characters and sort of incredibly sort of good at what they did, but in a very niche way. So, you know, writers mixed with models, mixed with fashion editors. It It was great. But I think what I learned particularly from Beatrix Miller was, She used to sort of shout at me, Dolly, you've got lots of furniture in your head, but you're so disorganized. Um, So I did learn how to be a little bit more organized, I have to say. Uh, And I think I learned learned how to be more confident. I think, you know, I met a lot of people, was getting people up from reception. And she's, you know, I I think I learned, yes, I think I learned how to, to be organized, to write everything down, to track things, to to everything, to how, you know, watching Miss Miller, as we used to call her, you know, interacting with all the fashion editors, how a magazine is sort of put together, because she had obviously meeting after meeting after meeting, you know, what sort of characters make up, you know, pages. And I, I I think, you know, you're really at the sharp end of seeing how a magazine was put together by an incredible legendary editor, which was which was an extraordinary experience, really. You know, she was there for a very long time. And and in those days, you know, she she put together this magazine that was so eclectic and so full of talent. You know, you had Grace Coddington, you had Sheila Mellon, you had Patrick Kinmont, you had writers, you had, you know, she bought them, you know, Tony Snowden. She bought everybody under this incredible cultural magazine. And you know, you saw people come and go and it was, it was magical, really.
0: Then, I mean, that sounds, I can just imagine it's just this whole huge, colourful, bright, crazy experience to just be immersed in this and then see this product every month. It must have been sensational and so memorable and so many lessons to come out of it. Um, you went to L after.
1: I did. Uh, I, I, Became Grace's assistant, which was fantastic, and from with her I learned uh, uh, well a huge amount about how to how to build a picture, basically, and how, and also sort of how to to look at the world in a way that anything from a sort of crumb on your desk to a leaf on the pavement to a cloud in the sky to a person who you whose look you sort of love on the tube, that anything and everything can make a beautiful picture or can make an interesting picture. And I think that's what I really learned from Grace. And I was her assistant for quite a long time. Again, really hopeless, forgetting a lot, learning a lot. But her way of looking at the world, I think, had a really lasting impression on me. And, you know, she is a legend and she still does the most incredible pictures. And I'm, you know, uh, was very fortunate to learn from her such a great deal like uh, and then I think I went on to sort of do my own shoots in the beauty department and from then um, Elle was being started and the editor was putting together the team and she asked me if I wanted to be fashion director and it was a massive leap from being really a sort of quite experienced assistant to then being a fashion director was, you know, that could have taken me a, a A lot of years to to have achieved and so it was a wonderful kind of leg up and a a sort of shortcut and we really you know Elle was only in France at that time and it was a weekly and we were going to do a monthly so it was a very different animal to what Fenshaw was doing so we could really make it up as we went along which we certainly did and the editor who started it was Sally Bumpton who sadly died but she was she was great at employing people that she believed in who hadn't necessarily done the job before, and took a chance so they were very heady times and and actually, what was so odd for me was the week that I left Vogue Beatrix Minner also left uh she was retiring, and Anna Winter was coming in and I think Anna at that time wanted to make Vogue a very, very different magazine so what how vogue changed we actually used a lot of vogue photographers because at that time vogue Anna didn't you know wasn't going to do that sort of magazine so all the connections that i had made with photographers like peter limberg and javier valonrat and mario and patrick de Marchalier, i could then bring on board at l so that was just terrific actually to have a wonderful stable of photographers to to play around with, and then also on board lots of new ones and young talent as well. So it was it was great. Uh,
0: these are incredibly iconic names in photography and have created such outstanding pictures. Um, how did Elle change in your time there? And I'd also love to hear about some of your most memorable shoots.
1: I think Elle, um I mean, a lot of people on L. you know, like Lisa Armstrong, has, have gone on to, to do amazing things. And I think it was a really... It felt... I mean, we started in a... T- You know, around one table, we didn't even have desks. We had no budgets uh, or no given budget. We really, it was like starting, it was like starting a startup, even though we had this big Hachette, you know, French L thing behind us. So I think at the beginning, we were quite rackety. You know, we would go to places for quite a long time and do lots of different shoots. I remember one of the first shoots um, that I spent three weeks on, which is sort of unthinkable now, was Naomi Campbell's first shoot um you know i met her for the first time i i i wanted a um a girl to take you know who could travel with us who wasn't that experienced and you know she came on this trip with us with martin Brading for 3 weeks and we traveled around you know we went to five different states and did like 10 different stories and so we we were sort of making it up as we were going along really there were no systems in place so i think that was fantastic and i think elle evolved into you know it became a very very successful magazine it was young it was vibrant it was you know a, very exciting we had really great writers um so yes I think I think I think we sort of had the spirit of Frenchelle which was a very alive kind of spirit with you know what all of us had learned from our various times at Vogue and on newspapers and things like that so it was an intelligent young magazine and it felt we yeah we felt uh, very excited by it I have to say and very quickly it did very well so that was just terrific and then um, when Liz Tilberis became editor of Vogue she asked me to go back and so I felt that was wonderful wonderful timing I felt I I mean I felt I'd done a good stint at Elle and really it was on a very good path and you know to go back to Vogue as a fashion editor was was really a dream so I was super happy to to be invited back.
0: And it was very different when you returned, I imagine.
1: Very different. And Liz, again, a very different editor from Anna Winter, very different editor from Beatrix Miller. And Liz was very, you know, she had been a fashion editor, so she was very, very immersed in fashion. Um, And it was great, you know. And at the time, I was working for Prada and Jill Sander as a sort of side hustle. Um, And Liz let me do that, and that was kind of the start of, you know, fashion editors being consultants. And that was a huge world that was opened up to me that I really, really enjoyed. And, um, you know, I spent 10 years at Prada and learnt, you know, how to do shows and about product and about putting together collections. And so that was a fantastic opportunity. But yes, Vogue was a, again, it was a different team. And, um, you know, we wanted to bring on you know, different photographers as well as, you know, using our wonderful, you know, vogue photographers. So that had uh that that was a very great time. And then when Liz left to go to America, Alex Shulman became editor and she asked me to be fashion director. Um which was something I kind of never ever imagined or even dreamed of really, because it didn't you know I was just absolutely immersed in doing pictures um so actually I think I sort of turned it down at the beginning and it was my husband who said why don't you do it for a year I think you might love it and and then I yeah did it for 25 years so I did obviously love it yeah and there was um wonderful you know at that time you know we spent quite a lot of budget going on extraordinary trip so the memories of uh you know going to Ladakh and very remote part of India were it, that was an incredible trip and yeah we've been to some magical magical places.
0: Yeah so tell me more about this I'd love to hear about the the places you've traveled to in the name of fashion I mean Ladakh must have been spectacular.
1: Oh my gosh I can't I mean I think it was the most extraordinary place because I mean I I'm a huge fan of National Geographic so quite a lot of the sort of locations I would choose. I would sort of find, you know, Alex used to say, you know, Lucinda will find the most remote, the most difficult places to get to. But what's so fantastic about fashion is, you know, people will come along for the ride, you know, because everybody's open to new experiences. So Ladakh I had seen in National Geographic, and I also read that there were no hotels in Ladakh. So I was like, yep, that's where I want to go, and we'll just live in tents. And who could I take? And I asked Patrick De Marchelier to come and I asked Cindy Crawford to come and they all said yes and Didier Malige and Mary Greenwell. And we had the most, yeah, we we got into Ladakh and it was really hard to get out. So we took like a four-day Land Rover drive back down, you know, through the Himalayas. But it was just amazing. And I don't think it's possible to do that now. To I think times have changed. Everybody's time is very... Some people carve up their times in different ways, so I think you know those sort of trips they did happen at a particular time where you know people were willing to sort of give over two weeks of their time to do you know one one job for you. and I think that's a rarity now. Um, so it was a sort of absolute heyday of travel and experiential trips where people were very happy to to go to new places and to rough it and not stay in swanky hotels with internet and you know it was it was very kind of like you learned on the hoof and you know I think it was people were so generous with their time and their talent you know so yeah lots of lots of memorable things like that. I think it's a different world but I think it's not necessarily a you know, it's just dif- it's just different times. And I think uh, that's how it is, yeah.
0: I want to ask quickly about the photography. Obviously, directing photo shoots and being so heavily involved in that was something that you, or is something that you love so much. So what does, other than obviously you've got the spectacular backdrops like Ladakh or all of these locations, brilliant photographers, what does go into making a great or actually iconic fashion image?
1: It's a really interesting question, that, because I don't think there's any one answer um, because actually, if you think of sort of iconic pictures in your head and everybody's obviously different in this it could it could be Linda Evangelista in a white shirt or it could be a David Sims picture of you know Linda in a in a black suit or it could be Cohen Day Kate Moss you know with a pair of pants on um i think i think. If I'm honest for me, and I and actually just sort of saying those just sort of remembering those iconic images, I think everything has to I think what makes a beautiful fashion picture is when everything comes together, and this is a very overused word, but I'll sort of explain it in a minute, in an authentic way. They can look as bonkers as they want. You can have Stella Tennant looking like a kind of mad British aristocratic, eccentric in jewels and turbans and feathers on her eyelashes. But you've got to believe in that person. So you've got to believe that that person is wearing that thing in that situation. And you have to totally buy into what she's doing. So if you ever look at a fashion picture and you can sort of see where the hairdressers had a struggle with the wig or you can see the makeup artist has put on too much Eye makeup, or you could see the hands behind it, then I think it falls down as a fashion, as a memorable fashion picture. But when you look at, say, Kate Moss in her pants with the fairy lights against a white wall, you don't believe that anybody else was there. You don't believe that there was a hairdresser, a makeup artist, a stylist, a photographer. That's Kate in a moment that's so truthful to her and you completely buy it. Or when you see the picture of Linda whistling through her teeth in a, in a black suit with her hair standing up on end that David Sims has done, you believe that that's what she was doing. And I think, you know, to go back to Patrick de Marchellier, you know, Bonnie Berman with the hoops against the blue sky in a red bathing suit. You know, you believe that Bonnie was holding on to those hoops, swimming in the sea and doing that thing. And I think that's really what makes an iconic image is where, it's it's, it's a, probably the same as cinema where you're totally, you totally believe in it and you believe in the character and you believe in what she's doing and what he's doing and, and it makes sense. And, it, you know, and as I said, it can be sort of mad and crazy and bonkers, but it has to make sense in that moment. Does that make sense to you as well? It absolutely
0: makes sense. I think it's, you know, that word authenticity is so overused, but you've just hit the nail on the head because it has to make sense. It doesn't have to look like you have to force yourself to believe it. And yes. if you can capture that in a picture, in a film, on a, in a show, you know, whatever platform it is, then you've roped in that audience and you go, yes, that's it. So I think absolutely that's wonderful. It's very difficult to achieve that, um, that moment, that authenticity. Yes. Um, but yeah no
1: and it is a moment it's interesting it often is just where everything has come together you know and it's you get an expression from the model you know it's like Paolo Versi with Guinevere you just that just that expression at that that second makes it makes it a sort of extraordinary image yeah absolutely
0: and that's what makes it memorable i want to move on to colville the co-founder of colville which is a brand described as the antithesis of fast fashion Tell us about Colville and what does it bring to the fashion industry what does it stand for
1: Well I think Colville's a really interesting one I mean Molly and I worked for many many years at Marnie together and I think when when Marnie sort of changed and became a different sort of company we 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 didn't really want to lose the magic of working together so Molly said you know if I start a company will you will you come on board and I was like 100% absolutely um and I think from the very beginning, you know, Molly had worked in a lot of companies. I had worked in a lot of companies. And we sort of wanted to do something that was a little bit different. Not, not because, because we had loved our, our time. We'd loved our time at Marnie. We'd loved our time at, you know, Gilsander at Prada. And she was working at JJ, um, the double J. We, we'd we loved it. But we felt more that we wanted to be a sort of collective Um we also wanted to be as sustainable as possible. This was you know, three years ago when sustainable wasn't on the word on everybody's lips and thoughts. And we also wanted to do from the get-go uh, upcycling and also social projects. So we wanted to start a company that felt that there wasn't one designer sitting in sort of splendid isolation in a way that we could take on board a lot of the people that we had relationships with, you know, Valeri who does our jewellery, Danny who's a designer, um, Valeria yeah, Matteo who does our shoes. Um, and give everybody a shout and make it feel that it's it's like a sort of community. And that's really what Colville feels like. And you know, with our social projects, we've done more and more of these and we work with women all over the world and artisans all over the world. And, you know, now we've gone into homeware because that felt very natural and it was just a very natural progression and so i think it feels colville feels like um you know it has you know we don't do shows and you know we do two collections a year and it feels you know we sort of slowed the whole process up you know we didn't do six or eight collections a year you know we're not showing we're doing presentations so just trying to do it a little bit uh a little bit sort of our way and 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 a different way and um yeah, so it's it's very exciting and, uh, you know, the more we add to it. And, and I think the other thing also that was important to us is that when we find people to work with, that we don't suddenly stop, you know, that we continue to work with them, we continue to evolve things. We don't suddenly sort of go, oh, well, that was last season. It's sort of so everything's kind of built like sort of building blocks, really. So
0: on the topic of fast fashion with you do two collections a year what do you think is fast fashion history and what do you think is the future of fast fashion i imagine covid also has had an impact on people rethinking fashion as well
1: yes and i think you're absolutely right and i think that is the question that is on every brand and every fashion designer's lips and i think what's great is i think then it'll you know it is it is coming into everybody's mind and also the consumer's mind and that will take a long time for it to really set in stone about the journey of that particular garment or that particular product but I think what's fantastic is that those questions are being asked and you know certainly at Colville there's no fabric, there's no journey, there's no process that we don't want to ask or change or do better and I think every brand is doing the same and I think I mean in my dream what I think is that every garment and every product and every shoe will have a a chip in it that will will kind of know that journey you know I think people have to ask what that journey has been and come to a conclusion and i think the more educated we are about it and the more questions we ask and the there's there's very little room then for people to hide and for big companies to hide behind not good practices so i think it will take a very long time but i think it's not going to go away thank goodness and i think those questions are being asked more and more and people are changing more and more and you can just You could see it. You know, you can see every day somebody makes those changes or, you know, asks those questions or does things differently. So I think I think that's this is here to to stay and to change and to get better.
0: Absolutely. I think it's great that Colville is very proactive about it. A lot of the brands, because consumers are asking the questions, they're reacting to it. And if, if that's the case, then so be it. But at least there's something
1: moving in the right direction. Yes. Yes, for sure.
0: The name Colville comes from your favorite area in West London, is that right?
1: Yes. Well I mean we always hang out in, you know, Portobello Road and the markets there and so it, it 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 worked sort of like graphically it worked and and yeah, it just it just felt it felt right.
0: How does London feed you creatively?
1: Oh, in every sort of way, I think. I mean I think we're incredibly lucky to live in a city that's so green. You know, the parks, the squares, the you know, just all the cherry blossom out on the street, or you know, we're just, you know, we're so, so lucky to be somewhere that is green and lively and culturally so diverse. I mean, I live on the Oxford Road, so there's every nationality. It's just amazing. And the changes, you know, just just going to, you know, I go to Portobello Road almost every Friday, and just the storeholders there, the effort that they make, the things that they bring, the food that we eat. I mean, literally, we have the world at our feet, you know, in London, and exhibitions, and now that everything's opening up, and, you know, cinema, I think, I think, I think just an incredibly fortunate place to grow up where there's just been so many different influences and stuff bombarding you you know it's just quite incredible
0: yeah i agree you can't step out on the street on a single day and not be creatively inspired from just no. being someone walking no. along the street to in a window oh my or anything
1: God. yeah yeah just just even i was just thinking of the men on the street at the moment that just they look so beautiful with you know how they how they dress and you know it's just there's a mosque like nearly opposite and it, it just it's, it's it's wonderful it's a picture and it's 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 beautiful yeah there's just so many there's so many uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever not got an sh- inspiration from a shoot, not just by walking the streets.
0: That's brilliant, London. Yeah, and West London is super, and Shepherd's Bush, all that area—it's so yeah. vibrant. Yeah. So, alongside Colville, you have Collagery. You have a lot of work on your plate: <laughs> shopping, inspiration platform with Serena Hood. Tell us more about Collagery.
1: Well, collagerie is so exciting because it was started. Serena and I were having a cup of coffee and we had left Vogue and we were thinking, okay, now we've left Vogue. We were so privileged there. We had all, all this information coming to us. You know, we didn't have to step out far to have, you know, stuff coming and, you know, where to shop, what the new brands were, what to buy, what was on trend, what was trending, what was going to be the future. And I think Serena and I both are pretty obsessed about home product as well as you know fashion and so we were sort of scratching our heads really and saying okay so where where would we get our information now and we're very different ages we've got very different aesthetic and we both looked at each other we were like okay if we can't find anywhere out there that that will serve this sort of need we've got to start it you know we were sort of so basically we were solving our own problem which was you know, we don't think we're so weird, wonderful, and peculiar and unusual and fantastical. But if we needed it, then a hundred thousand million other women would need it as well. So this is how co- we we literally started there and then. So it's been a real journey, and I think we've never lost sight of the fact that it's what it's what we it's what we would love to see. So we wanted to build something that was beautiful that, you know, wasn't anxiety inducing, that didn't feel like the endless scroll that was colourful, uplifting, um, something that you wanted to just land on every day and just see what's happening on it, as well as sort of doing all the hard work. We kind of like wanted to take all the hard work of shopping out of your day and make it a beautiful and uplifting experience.
0: It is. I mean, online shopping or shopping generally, it's it's a black hole of so much choice. It's Very confusing, and to have a a collated place of curated picks, I guess.
1: Yes, it's it's sort of we're peddling madly, looking at everything, seeing all the product detail page, seeing where it's made, seeing how it's made, seeing what it's made from, and then bringing you the very best. But but also, I think what was also really important to Serena and myself was we wanted to reflect the way we shopped and dressed, um, which was you know. We love a mango shoe, but we also put it, you know, we also save up and buy a beautiful Gucci handbag. But we also have got a great vintage thing that we bought in Borgespeller Road. And we've also got our Zara thing that we bought five years ago. And I think that was very, very important to us to have the differences of pricing, because I think that's how we all we all dress. Right. You know, we save up for a pair of earrings. We get our, you know, I think so I think. That was also a big driver for us that we felt, oh, let's, you know, let's have the three ninety nine soap dish from H&M, but let's push it next to a Gucci, you know, cushion because both are relevant and both are important and both are uplifting. Um So that was, yeah, that was, that was what uh, really got us very excited as well.
0: As it should. That's wonderful. I, that mix is so important. I don't think it's all big brand names at all.
1: No, it's just the mix. It's just the
0: mix. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, Your taste interiors, does it differ from your fashion taste? Does it complement? Are they, I mean, how do you approach the two?
1: I don't know. I mean, I suppose that they are pretty similar in the fact that I do love color and I tend to wear, I don't know, actually. I mean, the trouble with me is I like everything. That's, that's, That's my problem. I can see the point of everything. I see the point of color. I can see the point of neutrals. I love normcore, but I love like, Moroccan, you know, there is nothing I don't like. But it's, I guess, what I do love is pushing the mix together, and that's, and I guess that is the way I dress, and also the way, yeah, you know, I decorate a, uh, a home or a room or a, you know, a wall for sure. I, I, I love pattern and I love texture and I like, and I like color, and I guess that's reflected in in what I put on, and also, yeah, in the house.
0: So your style has been described as idiosyncratic, maximalist, eye-catching eclectic these are some great names to describe
1: nice. do you think these labels are apt accurate I don't know I don't really I don't know I mean if if that's what that that's I'll take that I'm I'm that's very flattering yeah I I guess I'd have to because it's not me who's judging but yeah I I think uh yeah I like I like I like stuff I do I do
0: that's brilliant! It's exciting, you know. It, it's it's exciting to watch and and learn from. I actually wanted to ask you on your thoughts on social media. Obviously, coming from photography background and and those iconic pictures and the magazines and and print, moving to online is such a big change. But then you've also got Instagram and the photography element of that. I just love to know your thoughts on that and how that influences people, or the the good and the bad, really.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you know I was a very late. Uh, comer to social media. And in fact, you know, probably started an Instagram account probably two and a half years ago. You know, my son actually said, one of my sons said, you know, Mimi, I think you should start Instagram because I think you'll enjoy it because you like pictures. And I have to say, I love it. I love it because I can, and this is just a very personal thing to me, is I can contain it. You know, I don't post pictures of myself really at all. I don't sort of, I sort of made a little pact with myself when I first started that I wouldn't kind of boast about things to make anybody feel that they were less than because that's just not really my way, you know. So so what I wanted to get out of Instagram, I was pretty sure of right from the beginning, which is just to take very personal little snaps of stuff that is around me, that occurs to me. Um But what I think is fantastic about Instagram is, oh my gosh, the access. You know, when I think about my days at Vogue, that I just happened to ring up Vogue on a day where the assistant happened to be ill and I happened to get hold of uh, the right person was just happenstance. Now I think anybody can DM people. You know, I can DM photographers that I really admire and go, hey, can I email you and is that a pain and I'd love to work with you and anybody can dm me and i think that having that access is so but there are no boundaries you know that there's no filters that it's just incredible and i think it is so democratic in a way that simply wasn't there when i was growing up so i think that is brilliant the downside is that you know that it's that anybody and everybody can be on it and and how you interact with it can, you know, you have to be quite careful, I think, about letting it not overwhelm you and letting it not affect you. And I think, you know, thinking about mental health and what, you know, seeing all the information and what that does to you, I think, you know, is is a real problem of our day. And I think that that, that no filter and that you know not pushing boundaries about how you you know make it manageable for you i think is 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 a problem that every teenager and everybody is facing so i think there's lots of good things like anybody can go on it and there's lots of bad things that everybody goes on it and it's overwhelming but i think on the whole it's a very very exciting um it's ex- you know very very exciting to feel that the opportunities are there for everybody and that everybody can take them um, I think what we've got to grapple with is how we make use of it in a healthy productive way
0: that's brilliant I have one final question what tips or advice do you have for people who are in the process of finding their own personal style
1: that's a really that's a really interesting question because I think you know when I was growing up we didn't have all the images and you know all the information out there that we have today so I don't know whether that's better thing or a worse thing and I think it's probably a bit of both I think what's great is that we can get lots of ideas from lots of different people and people that we admire or respect or you know look at from afar thinking they've got great style and we can emulate that I would say to my mother always used to say try things out try things out whether it's hairstyles makeup clothes jobs how's you know painting a room try things out don't be afraid of don't be afraid of failure, I think. And don't be afraid of, you know, things not what, you know, We, I guess we learn from our mistakes. We don't really learn from what's worked in a sense. But I think maybe when it comes to clothes, we, we can develop a sense of what feels comfortable or what colors actually suit us or what, you, know, you could almost think of it as an exercise of, you know, What do I want to project as well? What's important about me on the inside that I want to kind of figure out of how that will relate to how I present to the world on the outside? And I think if those two are very in sync with each other, then I think you've got a really good thing going. So I would say, you know, what colors make you feel happy? What colors go with your eyes? What what colors do you want to play around and experiment with? The other thing that I think is... Really important is comfort. You know, when you think of stylish people, you never think that they look uncomfortable. However, such a crazy they might look with turbans and earrings and glasses, and you know, I'm thinking of Iris Apfel, but she always looks so comfortable in her skin. So I think comfort is really underrated. So whatever heels you wear, however tight your dresses are or trousers, just be comfortable in your clothes and build up on that. And yeah, don't don't be afraid of experimenting because you can just take them off and try something else
0: out. I think that's absolutely yeah on point. Wonderful, thank you, Lucinda. Your journey has so far uh, been so fascinating, and thank you for sharing that with us. We are huge fans of collagerie Colville, everything that you do. So, thank you so much for joining us and being so open with all your stories. Where can we follow you? Your platform, social media. Where can we Where can we just keep an eye out for what you're doing?
1: Well, I, uh, you know, on both those, Collagery and Colville, I hope it's, you know, we're on Instagram, and I hope it's uplifting. And uh, yes, and I mean, on collagerie, you know, I think if if uh, if we can make your day uplifting and bringing you fresh products every day and telling stories, then we're happy to see anybody land on our site. And you know, it's uh, the journey is exciting. So. I want to thank you very much for having me and it's been an absolute delight and pleasure and thank you for asking such interesting questions thank you
0: Lucinda thank you for listening we really hope you enjoyed that let us know what you think of the show by commenting on social media and by leaving a review see you next time